all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. So what is, uh, what's today's bad thing? What do we have in store? Well, I have kind of a, a little clever name for it. It has a bit of a pun in it or a wordplay in it. Okay. Today's disaster is the crash of the Concorde. I see where you're going. Do you get the I, Do you get the I, pun? Yes, like the yes, flight of the Concords yes. that yes. show, and then yeah, this is this is the bad thing. Mm. Though it's the crash. Well, of the, it's it, it is a podcast called uh, All Bad Things. After all, yes, it would be it would be uh, inappropriate if it were cheery. People might consider flight of the Concords as a bad thing. I <laughs> I personally do not. You know, I never got into it. It's it, it's one of those. It, it's just one of those quirky things because the way they, what you pick up on, what makes it so funny to me anyway, is how they segue from like song to scene or oh, scene to song. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny and pretty clever how they do yeah. that, but it's yeah, not for like everybody. It's not for everybody. Episodes, yeah. 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 I thought I would like it a lot more than I did, but yeah. I mean, it was very clever and I like yeah. their accents. Yeah. So. And they're the third best pop duo in New Zealand. <laughs> The third best. That's that is their tagline. The third best pop okay. duo in New Zealand. Okay then. So that this was this is technically the crash of Air France Flight Forty Five Ninety. This sounds familiar as well. Mm-hmm. But because it was the Concorde, mm-hmm. it was notable, especially notable as being the Concorde. So when did this take place? July twenty fifth, two thousand. I was definitely uh, alive then. <laughs> yes, you were. So was uh, I. July twenty fifth, two thousand. Okay. And and I remember when this happened too. It was kind of a big deal. <sighs> I'm not. It does kind of sound familiar, but mm-hmm. I. If no you get into text for if you get into the details, I might. Yeah. Yeah. So so on July twenty fifth, two thousand, Air France Flight forty five ninety crashed into a hotel. Okay. In Gonesse, France. Yeah, this doesn't... This shortly doesn't after long. takeoff. Damn. All 100 passengers, yeah. nine crew members were killed. So everyone on the plane, plus four people on the ground. I was going to say, there was if it flew it, into a hotel, yes. there's definitely going to be some uh, yeah. people who were not on the plane casualties. Yes. Now in this episode, I want to go into a fair amount of background on the Concorde itself. Do you know what the, what was special about the Concorde? Not in particular. Okay. But I do know that it had a name for a reason. Like it's, you know. Yes, it, it was, and we'll go into the name too, but the Concorde was a supersonic commercial aircraft. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So this was a... Because they grounded those for almost a full, I would say, six to nine months after 9-11. Something in that, something in that range. We'll and get I remember, into that, and you're not far off. I remember seeing a piece on The Daily Show of them making fun of, like, the Concords are in the air again because they were interviewing, I want to say it was Sting. <laughs> About the Concords? Yes. Why? Well, he, he, he was on the fight, the first flight since 
Oh. Because they had grounded them for a while, the Concorde flights. The first flight of the Concorde? He was on the first flight of the Concorde after 9-11? Yes. Oh, okay. And it was like a big deal. Because I just, I remember, I just huh. remember the Daily Show doing a segment about it and okay. making fun of Sting. Okay. And making fun of... Well, he's yeah. easy to make fun of. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he does play the lute. <laughs> he after does. All, he does. <laughs> which is an instrument. Uh, if there are any millennials listening to this and they're considering playing the lute... Oh my god. Just just don't. Switch to accordion instead. <laughs> no, the first thing you should do is have somebody slap you in the face really hard and then just don't do it. And then learn a real instrument. Yeah, something. <laughs> something besides the lute. The I don't lute. I don't care if it's the recorder. What are you a 1500s like uh, strolling yeah. minstrel? <laughs> Who are you going to get with? You're going to use that at a renaissance festival the the one time a year you go to one. That's the only oh. Maybe they travel to different rooms. Or if you're Sting. <laughs> and since you're not Sting, guess where you're going to be playing? At, <laughs> at Renaissance, Renaissance Festivals. <laughs> yes. You'll be big in Oswego, New York. <laughs> Is that where, did they have like a big rent Oh, fair? a huge Renaissance Festival. Really, in yes. Oswego. It's technically in Sterling, I believe, is okay. where, but it's basically Oswego. Yeah. <laughs> I went to a Ren Fair once at Vizcaya in never Miami. Been. I've never been. I didn't dress up or anything, but it was kind of funny <laughs> to see you were, people who did. And you were the odd one. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like the giant turkey legs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was kind of funny. Yeah, people walking around with steins. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, back to, what were we talking about? Uh, let's talk about let's, let's talk about a plane crashing into a hotel. There we go. Yeah, let's give it uh, you know an upbeat <laughs> feel. Air France Flight 4590 was an aerospatial-slash-BAC Concorde supersonic passenger jet airliner. There will be a bit of French in this, so... Oui. Oh, oui. Je m'appelle David. Ah, bon. <laughs> um, let me see, what can I say? Uh, I was going to say, como se llama? That is not. That is not French. Yes. <laughs> it is not. Uh... Uh, comment allez vous? Yeah. Oh. And, um. Uh, Qu'est-ce you, que c'est? Uh, well, uh, pertaining to the first question. <laughs> como, uh, come see, come saw. Ah, yeah, very good. Um, or, uh. Isn't ça va fine? Uh, ça I va. Yeah, I, I don't. You're the one who grew up in almost Canada. I did, but I haven't lived in almost Canada in a long time. That's and true. You just, you lose a lot of that stuff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I took French. Yeah, same with my my didn't Spanish. have a great didn't have a great grasp of it to begin with, but yeah. certainly whatever grasp I had, I let go of a long time ago. I'm not sure we could be more American if we tried, you know, in terms of that. Uh, yeah, American centered. Yeah, yeah. All right, so about 14 Concorde jets were used in commercial flights. So for for some reason, so it's an I thought exclusive. this was a. For some reason, I thought this was like a single plane, but no, it was a no, style. It was a it was a, a, type it was a fleet. model. It was, it was a, a fl- yes, a yeah. fleet of fourteen. But it was still exclusive. Like it was, well, there's yeah. only fourteen. That's yeah. a very limited number, um, and they flew from 1976 to 2003. Okay. Right. Uh, so I found the history of supersonic flight really interesting. So I wanted to kind of go into the background of it a little bit. Can I just guess? Yeah. Because I think this is true. Because I, I do watch a lot of World War II crazy stuff. Okay. I want to say that it was the Germans that came up with the original idea to do so. Well, so well, we're talking well, the about original 
We are we are talk, we're going to focus exclusively on commercial oh, okay. supersonic flight. And I so and yes, I am. Be, I am speaking of Nazi Germans, okay. Nazi Germany. That they came, in, in, invented supersonic flight and thalidomide. Yeah, and and thalidomide. <laughs> and and they, they killed they, a bunch of people. They did not invent genocide, but they were very good at they, it. They perfected. it. Yes, they were. Uh, oh God. Well, fortunately, hopefully, you can never do that. But they came pretty close to it. Yeah, that's true. Perfect genocide isn't a thing. Yeah. It's an oxymoron. But, so, I am I am unclear of the history of military supersonic flight. I'm talking about supersonic transport for right. commercial You're talking use. about civilian use. Yes. 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 So, the father of supersonic transport, I'm doing air quotes, which is super helpful on a and it's podcast. Su- and it's father. And it's supersonic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's true. You can't hear it. Uh, so, that, uh, to, to clarify, supersonic... Transport means flying faster than the speed of sound, which is also called Mach 1, roughly 767 miles per hour. So faster than that. The the father of supersonic transport was Morian Morgan, a Welsh aeronautical engineer. He began to research the idea of a supersonic passenger airliner in 1948. So this was... That's post World War Two. Yeah, so it's possible it came out of you know that military research. I'm not sure. I was just focusing the, the on commercially. The chances are highly likely that yeah. that's where it came from. In 1954, his employer, Morgan's employer, Royal Aircraft Establishment, also called RAE, is a British um, research establishment asked him to form a committee to more thoroughly study the idea of supersonic transport for commercial purposes. And uh, he and his committee delivered their first report in April 1955. So once the ball got rolling, it started going right along. One of the main problems that was identified with the idea of getting a plane, like a passenger plane, in supersonic flight was the wingspan of commercial airliners. That it was just too long, too much drag. It couldn't. It couldn't get going enough on the runway. It couldn't get get fast enough once it was in the air. It was too much drag. Uh, so they ended up making shorter, very thin, rectangular wings, like on missiles, or like on on um, some more old fashioned planes, kind of, to try and reduce the drag. The problem was. <laughs> The short wingspan resulted in a hard time taking off uh, and very little drag on landing. So they were landing at like really <laughs> so dangerous speeds. They're coming in fast. Yes. Or they're, they're coming, in, coming in hot, I yes. believe is the term. Yes. Which I don't know why that's not funny, but it is kind of funny. Like it, the idea of like, oh no. It, <laughs> look, honest to God, and I'm not even joking, the first thing I thought of was trying to land the plane on the original Nintendo they had a Top Gun game, uh which was kind of cool. It was kind Mm -hmm. of a cool game. Impossible. Because at the end of each mission, you had to land the plane back on the aircraft carrier. Oh, on a carrier, too. Not just the runway. You can look this up on YouTube. Like, Uh it is one of the most frustrating things in the history of video games. It's just impossible to land. (laughs) That that is, like, the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about 
you know, the short wingspan is going to make it. Right, right. You're going to have to land pretty quick. Uh huh. <laughs> That's like what... on an aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we had our Commodore 64 yes. way back in the day, oh. and it was an old computer when we had it, but um, we had a flight simulator on it. I couldn't get it. I like I couldn't play that game for for shit because I was like, God, eight nine years old. But my sister loved it and she she got decent at it. But it was like shown from the cockpit. But yeah, yeah it was like, and you had to use the joystick mm-hmm. and like the keys to and to the land mouse it. too, probably for something. There was no mouse on the Commodore sixty four. Oh, that's right. Oh, we're talking a, about the actual con. Yes. Yeah, it was a joystick and a keyboard. That's right. It was. That's all you had. That's right. Back in the old days, yeah. children. But we had computers back in our parents' time. They had, like, computers that took up rooms and had punch cards. <laughs> so coming in for a fast landing was not a viable option. With a bunch of people on board, that doesn't sound like a like a, a responsible thing to do. Let's, <laughs> yeah. put it, let's put it that way. So they did have the option of trying to increase the size of the plane to make the wings bigger too, but it just would have made the plane like too big to be viable too. So they were in a bit of a conundrum, but a big bake, a big bake through. <laughs> Is that like a, the Great British Bake Off? That, that would be a bake through. That yes. would be a bake through. The big breakthrough on the wing design came when RAE aerodynamicists because that's a thing apparently so joanna weber or johanna perhaps weber and dietrich kuchman what (laughs) what nationality do you think they were (laughs) uh continue on (laughs) came up with the slender delta concept basically they started using triangular delta wings so more like a, um, a fighter pilot or fighter pilot, fighter plane, or maybe something in Star Wars. Or were those not, did they not really use that much? They had uh, TIE fighters and X-Wings. Yeah, that was different. There That's are lots of different cool. classes of ships, mm-hmm. all of which I can name, but I don't want to bog down Let's the... Let's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did anything in Star Wars look like that? I'm handing you a picture no, of the Concord. But, but this remind this is almost exactly... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, this is why it was making me think of this. This is exactly what the planes look like in, um, what was that Amazon show where the Nazis actually win? Oh, 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 Man in the High Castle. Yes, that's, this is exactly really? what they look like. Yes. Their commercial flights mm-hmm. look like this? Okay, yep. so it sounds like in that alternate universe they were going to supersonic flight. Because mm-hmm. that's what that Pretty quickly, because this show takes place in like the late 60s. Right, right. So, but do you see how it kind of looks like an, a fighter jet or something like that? Yeah, it looks like, uh, it actually, it's also in, at that angle. Or a shuttle. It's reminded me of somebody in a wingsuit. Yeah, a little bit, That's right? also what it looks like. Because, yeah, the, the short, the, narrow, the, triangular yeah. wings, yeah. So, so that, was a, that was a huge breakthrough. It was kind of what kept things moving forward because the wings were a serious impediment those short rectangular wings that made people like land way too fast. Yeah, this this thing looks futuristic as hell. Right? And they started flying in what the late seventies? Uh seventy six? Yeah. yeah. So in the mid seventies. Yeah. The year before I was born. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Damn, I just outed myself. So, <laughs> you have multiple times. <laughs> no, I've left clues, but I've never, like, straight Someone up... one could have. Well, no, yeah, you, you know what I mean. Actually, I gotcha. We'll have I to gotcha. cut that. Yeah, to do... <laughs> we'll have to cut that. Oh, I think we've both given away how old we are. I don't... We've given away certain timelines. Anyone who could do math could figure it out. Let's put it that they way. They could. Damn it. So <laughs> I was trying to be secretive about it. <laughs> So this slender delta idea um, gave the wings greater lift and allowed for a much more realistic takeoff and landing mm-hmm. speed. There were some other kinks to be worked out. Sure. But the con- that concept but, really brought the idea. But of they had uh, they had the overall idea yeah. pretty much in the bank. It really revived yeah. the idea and made it yeah. a lot more attainable. They, they just had to tweak some things here and there. Yeah. They had to work on some other yeah. design issues. As with any, you know, futuristic plan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, with development rolling along, the Supersonic Transport Advisory Committee, the STAC, was formed in 1956 uh, by Morgan, by Morian Morgan, at the behest of the UK's Ministry of Supply. Uh, development continued throughout the throughout the 50s under the watch of the STAC and a study contract was awarded to Bristol Aeroplane Company for preliminary design. So they won the contract for for designing this. At the same time, the French government... Hmm. Ha-ha. Had also been developing the same concept, supersonic commercial aircraft, with development duties having been awarded to Sud Aviation, which was a French state-owned that aircraft is, uh, main that manufacturer. That is south. That's what that means in French. Oh, is it Sud? Yes. It's maybe Sud instead of Sud? I, how is it spelled? S-U-D. Yeah, that's south. But I'm wondering how it's pronounced. Sud or Sud? Probably Sud, I huh? think I remember it being Sud. Sud? S- like Sud. Sud. Like a, a sud. bit of a drag. Sud. Yeah. Sud. Sure. Okay. We'll, we'll that, say that. That means South. Okay, so South Aviation. Mm. All right. In 1960, Pierre Sartre... Do you like my... <laughs> I do. I my thought... guttural... <laughs> Sartre. She's not joking. She's just pronouncing a... <laughs> French yeah, name. Fr- France guy, a guy from France, his name. Uh, so Sartre was Sartre, or Sud Aviation's technical director. He was sent to Bristol to propose a partnership between the British and the French because they were working on the same idea. They had basically come to the exact same conclusions about the aircraft and their design ideas were very, very similar. So, so it was like, well, maybe we should go ahead and join forces. There, in reading about this, there was so much behind the scenes like political garbage over this. Well, there is a lot of it at this time. We're talking about the mid to late 50s. This is when... Late 50s specific. Well, I guess... You're saying 56. This is like... This is like... Yeah. There is a... there. This is when the Cold War first really starts ramping up around this time. The Cold War was heating up. Yes, Uh yes, it was. (laughs) And you have uh, two former European powers, because remember, they're in Reconstruction at Mm -hmm. this time. So you have two former European powers coming up with a very futuristic, very groundbreaking thing. Yeah. So my guess is going to be... One of them wants all of that fucking credit, and the other one, they want to trash the other one. 
Well, so... I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to be right in some way and about you may, that. And you may be for a while, maybe that's what happened. I honestly glazed over while reading this political stuff behind okay. the scenes. It was like Charles de Gaulle... <laughs> UK versus France, comment mark, common market entry, blah 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 blah. It was really boggy and yeah, all. I'm that. sure it was. So let me just cut to the chase of yeah. what happened. In the end, the two countries wound up negotiating it all into an international treaty. Okay. So this was not. Well, so that's that is not what I expected. It, it's not no, but it wasn't a contract. It wasn't a con- commercial contract. It was an actual treaty. Right. Between the United Kingdom and France. Uh, And there were hefty penalties for cancellation. Uh, And a draft treaty was signed on on November 29th, 1962. So presumably this took a little while. So they they hammered it out for about six years, five or six years. um, The French first approached the British in 60, so it took two years of negotiation. Oh, okay, that's not bad. The new aircraft was named Concorde, with an E at the end. C-O-N-C-O-R-D-E. For the French word for harmony or union, which its English equivalent is concord without an E. Concord or concord. I never knew that that's what that word meant. Yeah, harmony, union, instead of discord, right? Sure. There you go. Uh, There was some really stupid, petty stuff that went on. Uh, where the British took off the E from the word to try and Anglo it up. That's that's natural. Yeah. It's there's gonna be stupid shit like that. Um, but uh, and that was after they got insulted by Charles de Gaulle, yeah. so they were like being petty about that it. That would happen between any two companies trying well, to. These are countries, not companies. But they were that, acting that like is, companies. That is what I meant to say. Yeah. But it's so easy to say company. Yeah, in this case, right? But especially two countries trying to hammer down the same thing, there's gonna be, there's gonna be some of that bullshit. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so they put the E back on, which made some nationalists mad. So the British prime. This was hilarious. The British prime minister for technology, Tony Benn, made up some just absolute drivel. That the E at the end of Concord was not to change it into the French word, but rather it stood for, quote, Excellence, England, Europe, and Entente Cordiale. (laughs) (laughs) The Entente Cordiale was a series of agreements between France and the UK in the early 1900s, which led to much improved relations after a long period of animosity. So (laughs) he basically, and then he kept making up more words like enchantment. There was other stuff he made up, but... I thought that was so funny. He was like, oh, no, we're not going French. It stands for England. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and all sorts of other things that begin with the letter E. <laughs> Let's just keep naming Sesame Street words. Enchantment. Eugene. Uh, Ernie. Easter. Yes, Ernie. Easter. Ernie. <laughs> Earth. <laughs> Earth. Um, entombment. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Enveloped. Uh, wow. Earth. I said that already. Did you? Yeah. <sighs> Um, enjoy. Eureka. Oh, ecstasy. Wow, you came back. Oh. Okay, I give up. Okay. Eagle. <laughs> Eagle. Now I can't get more American than that. That's right, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, Cut anyway. that out. That was, my, that was my stupid southern accent. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, with things basically squared away regarding development, testing and prototyping began, and Concorde 001 made its first test flight in 1969, and several months later went supersonic for the first time. In 1967, so during this period of development, in a full two-page ad in the publication Aviation Week and Space Technology, Uh not for nerds at all, Uh they they took out the two-page ad that said there would be a market for 350 Concords by 1980. (laughs) Okay. In 13 years. And they did like a little nanny nanny boo-boo to the U.S. for not... Being the leader not, not in the thinking of this travel. first. Mm, well, yeah. not being the, the leader in development, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, money was a problem <laughs> for the Concord. I'll bet. Yeah, a little bit of an Achilles heel there. Again, you got to remember these are two countries post reconstruction in Europe. Well, and this is an expensive endeavor. Yeah. There's another E word, endeavor. Oh, very nice. Mm hmm. Expedition. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. No, they already said he already said that. Excellence. Oh. I stole his word. See, I repeated, therefore you win. <laughs> so costs during development inflated to more than six times original projections. Yeah. This this just spiraled out of control cost wise yeah. pretty quick. The materials alone cost who knows how much. <sighs> and and this I mean we're talking sixty seven, they've been it's been conceptualized for about 20 years at this point, and they've been working on it for over a decade, so I can't even imagine. But it wound up with a per-unit cost of 23 million euros by 1977, which is the modern-day equivalent. Oh, can I take a guess? Yeah. Uh, 23 originally. I'm going to go 200 million. Per, it's a little overshoot, a little okay. overshooting, but you're on the right track. It is triple digits, 129 million euros oh, wow. per unit, modern day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And in during the reconstruction period of Europe. Well, this is 77. Oh, so by it the kind time of moved you're on a little true, bit. Mm-hmm. but still, they were spending all this money. Yeah. Now the timing of this was also a little bit of a problem because there were worldwide events in the 70s, like the 73-74 stock market crash. And the 73 oil crisis, this thing needed yeah. a shit ton of oil, mm-hmm. um, or gas, rather, that made the that kind of price tag really unfeasible. And the amount of fuel that was needed in the midst of an oil crisis was kind of untenable. The Boeing 747 had also recently come out, which was a big step up um, in subsonic aircraft efficiency, so just conventional aircraft and lower cost tickets were starting to trend, which made uh, <laughs> the sustainability of the Concorde, you know, really called into question because they were going to it cost so much they were going to need to charge so much. Right, they were going to have to like this is a upper class thing. Exactly, only. exactly. Uh, plus, I, I also would because this is happening during the early seventies, correct? Yeah, we're right when, now. When we're, we're getting into okay, yeah, they, they can actually fly and yeah, we're do this. talking. Well, because they, they haven't they done their seventy six. I was gonna so say yeah. they haven't done their first official flight yet, but they're kind of getting not the hang first of it. commercial flight. Yeah. Yes. No. 
Um, I think I know why the United States at this time was not working on this technology. Why? Because we were putting people on the moon. We were putting people on the moon and then we were in Vietnam mm-hmm. at the same time. So yeah, there was a lot distracting so that's, the United States. That's why they were like, oh, that's, that's a nice ship that flies <laughs> around earth. You guys, right. you guys been to the moon yet? Yeah. Well, oh, we we've, were... we've been there several times. It's lovely. We got a flag up there and everything. Well, it's like England and France were trying to pick a, pick a fight with the U.S. With and the, the U.S. and Russia the, were at, locked in yeah. battle. And this know? whole time the U.S. Basically. is like, yeah, we've been to the moon. Uh, let's see. A couple of times. How many times have all you got? The, oh, that's right. Right. But this was a commercial endeavor versus a True. space endeavor, so... But know. nobody remembers the first words spoken on the first... Supersonic. Civil- civilian Commercial supersonic airplane. That's <laughs> true. Fair point. Uh, pretty, like, human beings just in general, no matter what country you're from, uh, I think, like, John... Uh, not John Glenn. Neil Armstrong's uh-huh. first words when he landed on the moon, a lot of people around Earth, just in general, know what they are. Yes. <laughs> One small step for a man, one giant leap for, for mankind. mankind. Yeah, I'm guessing he like thought of that for a long time beforehand. He's like, I'm going to be the first person to talk on the moon. I get the. See, I, I need to come up with something. I think of it that way. I think he was thinking of it the whole time. But then again, the whole time nobody had ever done this before, so he's probably thinking of his life. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, I'm like actually here. And I think he just like garbled out like the first thing that came to his. <laughs> really? That's it how could I. Be either way. That's really? how I like to think of it. Oh, yeah. Anyway. It could could go either way, huh? Uh, so the Concord. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, we've we've been all a lot of we've topics. been we've been all well. This is also. Uh, for the most part, so far, this has been like a history episode, well, which I don't well, mind see, at all. Well, see, that's the thing. I feel like this puts this puts this whole tragedy into context in terms well, of all of invested the, into the All conflict. of this is going to show up later. Yes, yes, exactly. So I, I think it is important to delve into understand how, how we got to uh, July 25th, 2000. Very good. Did I get that? You, yes. you nailed it. So remember the uh, 350 Concords sold by... 1980. I'm going to guess that that didn't happen. They they fell a little short. Just a tad. Now, by the in like the late 60s to the early 70s, they did have non-binding orders. So in other words, fully cancelable, cancelable orders. They had a hundred of those mm-hmm. out there, but most were canceled by the mid 70s. I'm sure. So people pulled the companies pulled out. So sales numbers were pretty dismal. They're like, oh, this thing costs a lot of money. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and there's only a certain class of people that can afford <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And the development hit a bunch of roadblocks, including overheating problems, structural issues, radiation concerns, cabin pressurization. <gasps> Nevertheless, they persisted. Continue on. Mm-hmm. In the end, all of the Concords were purchased by Air France and British Airways. <laughs> and that's so they developed them and then they bought them all. Talk about a head slap, yeah. or uh, what do the kids call a, a face palm? <laughs> so yeah, they bought gonna, their gonna... own stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, we put all this money into it, we have to buy might, it. You know what? We might as well keep it. They were their like, own market. <laughs> I'm like, like, if I just have to give it to some random dudes in the Air Force on the weekend just for the hell of it, why not? It reminds me of my knitting. 
Like I just knit it's, all this it, shit. Sometimes, and then yeah. I'm sometimes you just. It all. Sometimes, sometimes what you knit becomes a cat toy. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, this is kind of no different, except it didn't cost you uh, twenty-three million dollars to per, throw per unit. Yeah, per unit to throw a cat. What would no. eventually become a cat toy? <laughs> yeah, no. On the floor. I can proudly say I've not spent nearly anything close to 23 million euros in, in yarn or stuffing or anything else, or even time. Mm-hmm. So the first scheduled flight, commercial flight of the Concorde began on January 21st, 1976. So just about a year before you were born. Just about. Concords had an average cruising speed of Mach 2.02. So as we learned in the, um, oh, in the Challenger episode, mm-hmm. Mach 1 is the speed of sound, 767 miles. It wasn't the Challenger miles. episode, by the way. Yeah, it was. What no. was? What else was it? It was the Columbia. Oh, damn it. I said but it's yes. So, but it's so easy. Oh, though. yes. Sorry. Columbia. And I, I was just editing that episode, too. And I was saying, <laughs> oh, I'm going to say Challenger a lot when I'm in Columbia. And I did a pretty good job on the episode, but not now. Oh, God, you're right. Oh, you weren't yes. concentrating as Columbia. much. And I originally said, uh-huh. And then I was like, wait, wait. no. Wait, <laughs> that no. wasn't it. We haven't done Challenger <laughs> yet. We will one day. Um. So, yes, you're right. Columbia. So, they were flying twice the speed. More than twice the speed because five to six hundred miles an hour standard for conventional aircraft. They also flew. I thought this was really interesting because it makes sense that they were flying past the speed of sound, right? Because that's the whole point of supersonic. Um, But they flew higher than other civilian aircraft, about fifty six thousand feet. So they were up there. Well, they probably had to because they were going so fast. Like they, right? They, they couldn't, couldn't stay in conventional airspace. Yeah, they couldn't yeah. get in anybody's way, and vice versa. So they essentially had like dedicated airspace. Yeah. So that also helped their. They were speed almost. They were, they were almost at the stratosphere. <laughs> Basically, right? Um, but also winds were less are less variable at those altitudes. So there's a lot of new variables that come into play, exactly. I'm sure, at that altitude. So a conventional commercial jet t- took, and I imagine still takes, about eight hours to fly from New York to Paris. Okay. The Concorde took three and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. That's well. Talk about delivering on what you were trying yeah. to sell. So they've yeah. got that part down. Yep. Yep. But speaking uh, a, of, a lot of people with money travel between both of those cities. So very true. But the problem, remember I said New York to Paris? Mm-hmm. Um, the oh. U.S. initially banned the Concorde from landing in the U.S. due to, any guesses? Um, and it wasn't overtly business-oriented. Uh, the speed they were coming in at, maybe? Is Sonic that... booms. Oh, okay. The noise, okay. right? Because when you break the mm-hmm. speed of sound, you create a sonic boom. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But... Oh, actually, we'll talk about that right now. <laughs> let's talk about I it now. I heard it somewhere. Let's yes, talk let's about talk it now about instead. So when you travel faster than the speed of sound, shock waves are created that end up sounding like an explosion. So it's a, yes. it's a loud noise. I've, I've heard a sonic boom more than once. Really? Okay. Yes, there was an Air Force base not too okay, far yeah. from mm-hmm. where I grew up. Yep. So occasionally you just... Anybody who's heard one knows what it sounds like. Okay. So... Despite this ban, they did allow the Concorde to service Dulles, so D.C., in May 76, so not long after they launched. And by 1977, the JFK, or New York 
ban was lifted in spite of local activists campaigning against it because of the noise. Sure. So, well, business interests will override <laughs> citizens' interests anytime. Ah, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, actually, even, not for the most part. Even for, 40 years ago. For every part. Yeah. So from what I can tell, the Concorde only flew internationally because it doesn't make much sense for something that can fly that fast. Yeah, to I, I right? think th- I think that was the whole point. So and, trying to and trying to connect continental, yeah, exactly through yeah. the air, exactly. Um, Instead of on a rickety freaking ship with rats and cholera <laughs> and whatever. Well, or conventional <laughs> aircraft. Or that. <laughs> but I, but I'm but I'm By thinking. By 1977, but, you had no. But I was thinking. You had the no, but I was thinking. What is the other option to get from uh, North America to Europe? Is is conventional on, flying? No, no, no. But other than flying. Other than flying, would just be on a ship. Cruise I mean, there's ships, not necessarily rickety, but rat. But still, I don't know. <laughs> Are you thinking of, like, the Titanic or something? No, I think I'm going even further back than that. But, but like still... Like scurvy? That, <laughs> yes. Pirate ship? Scurvy. Scurvy. <laughs> if somebody at work has scurvy, get away from them. <laughs> That's... It yes. just... I have no idea what it is, but it just, just sounds I terrible. I think it's a vitamin C deficiency. Okay, that doesn't sound so bad, but it, it's got a nasty tone to it. Scurvy. Well, it's basically something that's more or less eradicated because, like, eat an orange. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have a vitamin C deficiency. (laughs) Good advice. Yes. (laughs) Eat an orange. (laughs) So, throughout the 80s and the 90s, um, Concord had to try to cut costs of operations, so they cut some routes out of... Wait, you're telling me a big international corporation (laughs) cut some corners? Well, no, it wasn't cutting corners. They cut routes, so they just stopped servicing certain areas. That wasn't a safety thing. That was just a business choice, so that's actually not negligent. I have a feeling we may or may not get there, but I have a feeling that they cut corners at some point. No? Okay. This well, takes whatever. a surprising turn. Okay. This is a this is an interesting one because I had a very different mental picture of this crash than what actually happened. I thought they literally dropped in the middle of the ocean, but as we heard in the intro, they ran into a hotel, so they were just after takeoff. So this was not what happened at all. What what I had in my head. And so I I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I remember my parents talking about the Concorde specifically, like, oh, one day maybe we can go to like sort of a pie in the sky dream. Like maybe one day we can fly from New York to Paris really fast in the Concorde or something. I I guess. I mean, people probably did. I remember that very vividly. It, It and it. It was sort of, like I said, like a pie-in-the-sky thing because the Concorde was basically for rich people. Ticket prices were well into the thousands for a round-trip ticket. I'm sure. It was kind of hard to nail down specific prices, plus this was over a period of 30 years, so it's all relative. But what I saw was like six dollars to $12,000 for a round-trip ticket. Holy Okay. Yeah. That's still a lot of money. Um, At at one point, I saw um, €4,350, but I'm not sure exactly what time period that was. At one point, euros were like double what US dollars are. So what would cost you for an entire vacation, essentially? Yes. Is just one round trip ticket. It's just costing you a round trip flight. So and you get and you save a so few we, hours. So we know, we know who's who's on these. It, it was it was it was people, people could afford it exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we're getting into the actual crash. Okay. 
prior to the July 25th, 2000 crash, the Concorde had a perfect record, meaning no fatalities. Not no None, incidents, just no fatalities. Right. Nobody's died on one of these things Exactly, yet. in 23 years of operation. That's pretty good. It, it is, but it is important to consider, too, there were only 14 of them. And limited operation. It, but still. It's not like, we're not talking like a fleet of American Airlines yeah. or something. We're not talking about still. thousands of flights. We're talking right. about maybe a thousand. Well, I'm not sure how many flights okay. total, but but it was definitely fewer than like a, a regular 737 commercial jet. or something like that. Yeah. yeah but exactly. still impressive. 23 years, yeah, no fatalities. No fatalities, 23 years. Now, the doomed Concorde, so the one that actually crashed, was operated by Air France, as we said, Flight 4590, 4590. It was flying from Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris to Newark um, on July 25th. The flight had been chartered by German company Peter Delamann Cruises. This was a cruise line, uh, which did river cruises through Europe and also some ocean cruises the passengers on board were on their way to board the ms deutschland in new york for a 16-day cruise to ecuador <sighs> so these people were all at the beginning of a vacation yep Ugh. and yeah, unfortunately you if you're gonna die in a plane crash have it be at the end of a vacation yeah, or well not it. at all but if it's going to happen yes, just just try to avoid it but yes <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's bad, yeah. So let's just let's just wildly speculate here. What do you think is gonna happen to cause this crash? The only thing I can think of is maybe they were going too fast at takeoff. Mm. That's because it takes so much momentum to get them going. And they crash into a hotel, so Mm. didn't take didn't go high enough or something. That's that's gonna be my guess. They misjudged the takeoff in in some form or fashion. Well, and as I said, my impression from the time, like when the Concorde crashed, and I was like 15, but was that they literally just like dropped in the middle of the ocean. That's not true at all, I do not remember any of this. Really? I don't. I just remember hearing about it. But we were living with my grandparents and my grandpa watched the news every single night. So I heard about a lot of stuff during like 96 to 2000. At that point in my life, I never watched the news. Really? No. That's funny because, yeah, that's when I was watching. (laughs) Now I never watch the news. I mean, I keep up with it in different ways, but... So, you ready for the... This is like, I had no idea this happened. Five minutes before the Concorde departed, a Continental Airlines DC-10, which is a wide-body jet airliner, took off from the same runway that the Concorde was about to. On takeoff, the Continental flight lost a titanium alloy strip from the engine cowl called a wear strip. The strip is 17, it was about 17 inches long, about an inch wide, and like 1.4 millimeters thick. And that wear strip was left on the runway. Mm-hmm. And because it was, I mean, that's small from that, from something that big. It is, it is. Yeah, and you know, you're right. 17 and inches, one inch, millimeters. <laughs> Somebody in a tower is not going to notice that. No, no. And there's probably not anything to signal on their own aircraft that, oh, we just lost an inch No, they didn't even know. Yeah. Their flight went on and was just fine. But the Concorde made its way down the runway after flight, the the DC-10 took, flight took, 
took off after the Continental of DC-10 took off. And at 4.43 local time, it ran over the strip. Now, we're talking a giant plane and a 17-inch strip of metal. That is a supersonic commercial carrier. And its tire ran over the strip of metal left by the Continental Flight. Wow. The strip slashed one of the tires of the Concorde, and a large piece, like a 10-pound piece of tire, flew into the underside of one of the wings at an estimated 310 miles per hour. Oh, shit. Impacted so, so the that, wing. So that immediately killed whoever was right there. Uh, no. If no, it went no, up and under? No, no, no. This hit the wing. Nobody's dead. Oh, Nobody's okay. Nobody's dead. It, everyone's in yes. the plane. Yeah, not yet. Um, this blow to the wing also cut landing gear wire. And that sent a pressure shock wave, and it, and it sent a pressure shock wave that ruptured one of the fuel tanks. Now, this had multiple fuel tanks, I think like five or something. Probably. But fuel gushed from this engine and was ignited. Either by the live wire that was cut or through the contact with hot parts of the engine. Oh, my God. This caused two more engines to surge and lose power, although one of them did recover. And a plume of flames became visible while Concorde was still on the runway, wheels down, and the flight engineer shut down one of the busted engines. Now... So now I'm trying to figure out now, then... Okay... What are you trying to figure out? So it's not in flight when it mm-hmm. crashes into this hotel. Nope. Oh, well, yeah, no, yes, it was. It was in flight. It was shortly after takeoff. They took off. Why did they take off after all this stuff had happened? Let's talk about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, let's talk about that. you got to be kidding me. Now, there, there were witnesses to the fact that the Concorde was on fire on the runway. Air traffic controller Gilles Langelin <laughs> saw the flight. No, no, keep listening. I, I am, is, but I'm, I'm still, no, no, it's blowing. Keep okay. listening. Okay. He saw the flames while the Concorde was still speeding down the, down the runway. Have you ever heard of a Catch-22? Uh, yes. This was a Catch-22, if ever there was one. They had two options, right? Take off, which was the original plan, or don't take off. Those are the only options they've got. Stop the plane or, or lift the plane. This plane is in motion, right? Okay, yeah. But I'm, I'm still... Okay. All right. So what, what would you on. choose without any more information? I would choose staying on the ground. Yeah. Right? I mean, the fucking plane, a part of the plane was just on fire. Mm -hmm. And you're on Mm -hmm. the ground, and talk about a bonus. You you don't want to be up in the air when something catches on fire. We've... Right. um, So... So, yeah. So why not just stay on the ground? Exactly. They were going to run out of runway. I would take... I would still take that chance. They could not stop in the amount of runway they had left, and they would have barreled straight into buildings. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <sighs> wow. So. Well, then your best chance is getting off the ground. Off. They took off. Holy shit. There was no right choice in this. They, people were going to die regardless. 
And you have a second to think about what the minimum amount of casualties is. There was no, there was no way out of it, this. If they had stayed on the ground, people would have died, but not everybody. That's my, but maybe not everybody on the plane, right? But but maybe they more were civilians. Still, they were yeah. still barreling down that runway. And you've got to think of how this now, is a supersonic. Now imagine this, this going hundreds of miles an hour. They barreled into a building. What are the chances of anyone on that plane surviving? That's true too. Plus the people in the building. Yeah, that's true too. There was there was no there was did, no chance on the ground. There was no chance in the air. So the minimum amount of casualties is was actually taking off. Potentially, potentially. Probably, yeah. Like I mean, who Holy knows? Shit. But so they took off. I've never. Well, how have I never? This is crazy. I know. Isn't it just insane? This is this is the buildup. Like to a great action movie, except that has like the most surprising ending. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. So they had reached a velocity. It's a I forget the term, but it's a specific velocity, like V one or something, where you can't abort. You can't safely abort. Take you just off. you just got to take off. Like it's inevitable. You yeah. have to get up in the air, and so they did. They they took off. Um, but they couldn't gain altitude. And they were never really going to land because this also took out their landing gear. Well, that's, yeah. So they couldn't gain altitude oh and they couldn't, ex- they couldn't accelerate any further because of the damage to the landing gear, the undercarriage and the wing. They, the crew tried their best. They were trying to divert to nearby. And, and they're all doing this in the frame of seconds. Making all these yeah, decisions. This is, yeah, this is all happening very quickly. They were trying to divert to nearby Le Bourget Airport. Let's get to the fucking closest one we can to if we get out of this. Yes. Um, well, they were trying, right? Yeah. So the cockpit voice recorder. <laughs> the fact that they had already come up with a plan just in that small amount right. of time, that's that's impressive as shit. The cockpit voice recorder, the CVR, the black box, right? Recorded... You want to hear I, it? I, I it's no, not. I, it's not okay. that bad. It's okay. not that bad, and it's a lot of it is actually unintelligible. So okay, and this is translated from, okay. from French, right? So the co-pilot said Le Bourget, Le Bourget, like trying to get the airport, right? The pilot said too late, and then something that was unclear. The control tower at Le Bourget said. Fire service leader, correction, the Concorde is returning to runway 09 in the opposite direction. Now, I'm not actually not sure if that was Le Bourget or if that was um, Charles de Gaulle, the, that uh, control tower. Charles de Gaulle is it where they were like taking It sounds like returning to runway 09, so it sounds like, right. it sounds like they thought they were going to like circle back around. And that wasn't happening, apparently. The pilot said, no time, no, <laughs> yeah. and then something that was unclear. The co-pilot said negative. We're trying Le Bourget. Le Bourget. So I think that it was actually the Charles de Gaulle um, traffic control tower that was like, oh, oh, you guys are trying to come back here. And they're like, and they're, no, 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 we're no, trying to we're go going to the, the next very airport. next airport. And then there was four switching sounds. So they were messing with controls, right? The last thing was the co-pilot saying no. And then the rest was unclear. And that was the last words. The fire started burning and melting the port wing. So if you're facing forward, port is to the left, starboard is to the right. The starboard, the right wing, lifted because of this burning 
And the Concorde banked over 100 degrees. Oh, my God. The crew tried to level the aircraft, but their airspeed fell, and they lost control. And the Concorde crashed into the Hotelissimo Le Relais Bleu Hotel by the that's airport. Very good. Thank you. That's the Merci. Yes. Merci, monsieur. Oui. <laughs> Merci oui. beaucoup. Oui, oui. So, less funnily, all 100 passengers, as we said, nine crew members died. So everyone on the plane died. And four employees of the hotel on the ground died. Shit. So it's 113 people total. Okay, so... Here's, and, and one was critically injured. Here's the first thing that came... As soon as you said this little piece of the plane fell off the... the oh, let me finish up real okay, quick. Okay, okay. Um, because the flight had been chartered... And then we'll go into the aftermath. Because the flight had been chartered by a German company, 97 of the 113 people were German. Okay. For an Air France flight, that's kind of remarkable, but... Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, yes, what were you saying? So... Running all the calculations in my mind, okay, this thing initially had a bit of a start in 1948. Right, conceptualized for commercial use. That's where it got started, is way before it left the ground, but it it got started as an idea. Almost 30 years before, yeah. And by the time it made its uh, maiden voyage, mm-hmm. shall we say, yeah. was almost 30 years later. It was 28 years later yes. in 1976. Up to this point, the only information that you have is up to this point, they've spent what would be the equivalent now of, it was $129 million? Euros. Euros. Per unit. Per unit. Yes. So think about that. Just up to this point. Yeah. We're, we're only at 1976. You've already spent... Billions. Plus, you've already spent 28 years, and time is money in itself. Who and knows? And that's just in the development. This was right. 23 years after development. Right. So this is almost a 50, or over a 50-year yes. long story. Yes. Right? 52 yeah. years. Billions of dollars, because you know it cost more, like, time, just development. Time, maintenance. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Billions of so dollars at, in 50 plus years. At this, at this point, you are in billions of dollars. Yes. Almost 50 years. Over 50 years. Uh, Yes, over 50 years. And it's done in by a 17-inch long piece of plastic. Or piece of metal. Yes, actually very, very specifically. That was an inch wide. Aluminum. I'm trying to figure. The wear strip was titanium alloy. It was a strong metal. Sure. Titanium's pretty strong. Think about how big these planes were. Yeah. Think about how big something that is 17 inches long and an inch wide is. Now that depends on your that depends on your perspective. Yes. If you are if you are in certain kind of movie studios in Los Angeles, that thing is huge. <laughs> That's gross. But it, but you know what I mean. Well, but I, I'm go, I'm going with perspective here. But anyway, think of it this this way, like. On this massive runway in this massive plane, there was a 17-inch piece of metal, and it hit. And the I'm tire. trying to I'm trying to figure out how they figured that out. Was it still stuck in the tire? I I'm not. I didn't actually get in. Okay. I didn't find out how it was discovered. But but it, anyway, after billions of dollars in 52 years, it's done in by something that small mm-hmm. that probably nobody ever accounted for by a strip of. Steel. Or yeah. titanium. That was an steel. inch wide. Yeah. 
And and uh, just over a millimeter thick. That's crazy. So all Concords were grounded a few days after the crash, pending investigation. Commercial flight service started up back in November 2001, which is probably what you're thinking of, but they weren't grounded because of September 11th. They were grounded because of Because this. of that. Yep. So this is very soon after 9-11 that they go back in the air. Yes, two, two a months couple later. months. A couple months, yep. Uh, they And during that time period, so that was over a year. Now it gives me an idea of exactly what to look for when looking for that Daily Show. Because I remember that's... Oh, okay. I would look for mm-hmm. November, Daily Show November, November 2001. 2001. Yep. So it was... Concord. Um, Sting. Yeah. <laughs> so it was close to a year and a half later, and they had made 17 million euros in safety improvements. Okay. Because they were still like, let's make sure this isn't the plane that's causing the problem, right? But the devastating crash, the fact that the Concorde itself was a money-losing adventure, or venture, and the dip in plane ticket purchases post-9-11. Oh, yeah. Plus, it was it was an exclusive plane ticket to begin uh, right. with. Right, and it was expensive and everything else. Yeah. Um, it led to the retirement of the entire Concorde fleet on October 24th, 2003. That was wow. the last flight. Okay. They were done. Um, 14, almost 14 years ago. So now let's go into the investigation. That's, that's crazy thinking it was that long ago, but it was. Right, yeah. A lot of our disasters seem to have ties to the year 2003. I don't know. There have, uh... The Columbia? I was just going to say, that was the first thing. And the station fire? That's right. In 2003? 2003 was a bad year yeah. for... Also, a lot of disasters have happened in the spring and summer so far. Not so many in the like later part of the year. It's interesting. I don't know. I don't think the 2003 thing is that's I didn't even think of that. Yeah, right. An innocuous year. So the Bureau of Inquiry and Analysis for Civil Aviation Safety, the BEA. Do you want to hear it in French? No, that's okay. Really? Okay, okay go ahead. Uh, bureau <laughs> d'enquête et d'analysis pour la sécurité de l'aviation. Come see, come see. (laughs) Conducted an investigation into the crash of the Concorde, and they concluded the Concorde was overloaded by about 1,800 pounds above the maximum safe weight for takeoff, but any effect on takeoff performance because of this extra weight was negligible, so it did not contribute to the crash. Right. But they like, found uh, that you were, that's what was happening. Yeah. So they had to report it. You were a little over here, but that wasn't going to prevent from right. You know, doing what you had to do. They found that running over the this wear strip God. was exactly what had caused the whole thing. The strip on the Continental DC-10 had been replaced had been replaced in Tel Aviv, Israel, the month before in June. Uh. With additional maintenance work done in Houston, Texas, the strip had not been manufactured or installed according to the procedures defined by the manufacturer. So it was shoddy workmanship and shoddy workmanship. Yeah. The Concorde was airworthy. In, in, in several different places. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Concorde was airworthy. Its crew was qualified and its crew did not cause any errors. It sounds like they were they were trying way qualified. To, yeah, and they, they were had tr- already come up with a with a, a plan, plan B. They were trying within yeah. a matter of seconds. Yeah. Yep. 
they concluded that if they had tried to keep going on the runway and not taken off, they boarded the takeoff, they would have crashed on the ground anyway. Well, they were crashing either way. Yeah. I, 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 it sounds like they were trying to make the rational decision of how many people die. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. And and taking off is our only chance. Yeah. So we've got to... Cause it, well, cause because they... If they were thinking they could make it to another airport. They could have got... If they could have just gotten in the sky, well, who knows what happens after But it gives them a better chance. They didn't know they wouldn't be able to gain altitude right. or speed. Right. You know? Which, because of the damage that could, was already yeah. done, it just wasn't going to happen. When it, While engine failure had occurred, the damage to the plane's structure was so bad it would have crashed even if all the engines had been working. Yeah. So it was the, it was the fire and the structural damage. It was doomed. that strip. It was that doomed. wear strip. Yep, it was. It was. There was a history of tire blowouts on the Concorde. It had about 70 tire or wheel-related incidents in its 23-year flight history up to this point, seven of which had been potentially catastrophic but had not panned out. That's not. That's also not very surprising either. Why not? Because you're taking off at a, at a, such a right. high speed and you're landing at such a high speed. So that's not necess- That's not really surprising that that right. would have a wear on the tires. Right. Yeah. So the NTSB, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, had actually expressed concerns about this to the to the makers of Concord. Um, but the thing is, you're right, the higher takeoff speed, right? It was necessary yeah, during it, takeoff. Yeah, had to get, to get it, to a yes, certain speed yes. to be able to fly 56,000 feet in the air. Right, and it wasn't really something that could be fixed because the thing is, the higher speed left the tires more vulnerable to blowouts, so they could have made the tires heavier, undersides of the wings more reinforced, but that would have made the aircraft heavier, which would have required even more speed, right. which would have required heavier tires and heavier. It was a vicious they, they had, Right. They had, they had already thought of all this, and they, well, they had arrived at, we have to go with this to be able to achieve this goal. Right. Well, we can expect A, B, and C, and let's have a plan for when that happens. Well, That's, even, you know. even if they hadn't thought of it, if you do think about it, it's just a vicious mm-hmm. circle of, okay... Make it heavier, then you have to go faster, then you have to make it heavier, then you have to go faster. I mean, it, there's no end to it. No. So, so they so they settled on something being like, okay, well, this will work. There's the, there's the potential the for problems, yeah. but, so, but, but even the tire blowout wasn't from just friction. It was from debris uh, well, on yes. the runway. Yeah, that too. It, it was caused yeah. by something else, so... Um, so there were criminal charges involved. Oh, okay. I'm kind of surprised at that. A little bit, a little bit. Well, in 2005, the French government launched a criminal investigation into Continental Airlines. Ah. The owner of the DC-10, right, or operator of the DC-10, and began investigating specifically Henri Pellier. Um, one of the original chief engineers. He goes by... He goes by Henry when he's in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. In the airport lobby. He's like, hey, I'm Henry. <laughs> so Henri Perrier was one of the original chief engineers of the Concorde division at um, Aerospatiale. So they were suing Continental for their potential, their part in the debris and the Con- and Concorde. The, one so of the, the criminal charges are not... For the most part, they're not all going to Concorde. They're going to another airline oh, as well. Well, for 
for Continental for the debris on the runway. Right. Yeah, which caused the, the problem. And we already hinted at earlier uh, how many different places that this malfeasance took place on the on the Continental plane that lost the little strip. Right, that it was in... Um, it was in three different places before this happened. Right. It had been none in, of them really no, caught it. No, it had been in Tel Aviv and Oh, Houston. you're right, yes. Mm-hmm. So in 2008, manslaughter charges were brought. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Against John Taylor and Stanley Ford who were employees at Continental Airlines. I was going to say, they were definitely not the pilots. of. No, no. Remember Houston? Mm -hmm. Uh, So John Taylor was the mechanic who replaced the wear strip, and Ford was his manager, which I can't imagine being that guy, Taylor, and knowing that, like, something you tried to fix fell off and then killed 113 people. Yeah. I don't think that's something you necessarily get over. No, and I'm sure it's nothing he did purposefully or intentionally. No, just Man. Uh, Charges were also brought against Henri Perrier, we mentioned. Jacques Herbel, who was another chief engineer at Concord. That would be Jack. (laughs) Jack. (laughs) And Claude Franzen, or Claude Franzen. Claude. The head of the Directorate General for Civil Aviation, the also called the DGAC, the French Airline Regulator. So basically like the FAA equivalent in of, France, of France for not catching all this shit up and potentially these problems. You didn't catch that 17-inch strip from uh, well, half a mile away. I mean, who, yeah. Or the potential blowout. Yeah. yeah. They alleged that these three guys knew that the con. Oh, here we go. They alleged, I forgot about this. They alleged that these, these guys knew that the Concord's fuel tanks were vulnerable to damage from foreign objects, but still allowed them to fly. Okay. In December 20... But but this whole time, 24 years in the air... 23. 23. uh, They've been fine. Mm -hmm. Not... Mostly. Not... There were concerns about the tire blowouts. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, but so, so, so far they can stand by their record. In December 2010, Continental was found criminally responsible in French court, fined 270,000 euros and, or, or sorry, about $270,000 and ordered to pay Air France a million euros. It's actually not a huge payout, but it's, it was something and they yeah. were found criminally responsible. So that's a thing. But this is in 2010. So this is like seven years after the fact, right? Taylor. And it's also seven and, years ago. Yeah, yeah, right? Taylor got a 15-month suspended sentence, so he didn't serve jail time, and the rest were cleared of all charges. So he was the only one found, uh, Continental and Taylor were the only ones found criminally responsible, but these convictions were overturned on appeal in November 2010. So Continental and Taylor were cleared after the fact of criminal responsibility. Okay, all right. Air France has paid a million euros. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Air France has paid 100 million euros. There, That's a big difference. There's a bit of a difference. <laughs> big there. difference. Just a tad. To the victims' families. I mean, it's 113 people, so that's it needs to be a lot of money. Well, I mean, hey. It, Something, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, Continental, in spite of the appeal they won on criminal charges were still held liable for 70% I was just going to say, yeah, that doesn't claims. mean that they're not going to have to pay any money. Right. I'm sure that was, I'm sure that trial came right after. Right. So that's, 
that's the end of the Concord. But interestingly, kind of one of the things that brought this back up in my mind is that supersonic commercial flight has seen kind of a resurgence lately. I was I was kind of thinking. One of the things I was thinking about, among the many things, mm-hmm. during this whole thing, is like, how is that not back around now? Right. Because there there have been a lot of technological changes in fourteen years. Right, right, and and it wasn't, and we know now it wasn't the Concorde's fault. Exactly, it, it was debris. It was just a freak fucking accident. Basically, now whether the tires were more vulnerable to blowouts, perhaps. Either but, way, but it didn't just fail. No, the technology not was all, not all on its sound, own. Yeah, on its own. So in in twenty three years and. For the remaining three years, so 27 years total, yeah, it flew without fatalities. It was it, that one crash that was not caused by direct structural <clears throat> problems with the plane. Not that it was ahead of its time in a technological sense, because apparently it wasn't. This thing lasted for 24, 26, 27, 27 years, mm-hmm. and it got started in 1976. So they were actually ahead of the curve technologically. Yeah. But I, what I'm coming back to, like as far as what has changed since then, you could probably build something similar to that, but with better material, cheaper, lighter. You know More what I mean? Dynamic. Like yeah. it may have been just ahead of its time as far as what people had to offer, like the internet or like right. video game con- well, stuff like or- that. The original Concord is at this point 41 year old technology from the time it first flew. Right. With safety updates, it's still a 16-year-old technology. So, yes, a lot has happened in that time. And there's actually a startup out of Denver called Boom Aerospace. Get it? Boom. Mm -hmm. Sonic Boom. Um, Yeah, this doesn't surprise me at all, really. It has already 76 aircraft reserved for five different carriers. So, again, remember those early orders that happened? Yeah, (laughs) we're in the... the Pre, pre, pre-production stage. Pre-sale, yep. Yeah. Um, but Virgin Atlantic is one of those carriers who's invested, or, uh, or who su- is, is going to order. That's not surprising either, because uh, yeah. we know who the CEO of that is. Branson, yep. Yes. Who wants to go to, like, yeah. uh, space tourism, right? Yes. Yep. So and I'm I'm gonna guess Elon Musk is involved in this shit the, somehow. The remaining four if, if carriers. He has, if he isn't at this moment, he will right? be soon. The remaining four carriers have not been revealed, so it's unknown at this point. But they plan to roll out this new era of supersonic flight in two stages. The first being a two-seater plane, X, the XB1, also called the this is so clever baby boom. Har, har, har. Uh, And that's actually... Speaking of which, you can put uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, her husband on that flight. Test them. Because they're baby boomers? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they are. My parents are baby boomers, too. No, I'm just saying like a a test flight, and if it crashes, oh well. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. Wah, wah. (laughs) Uh, so, So the baby boom is set to start assembly this year and flying late next year. So this is within the next couple of years. There, I would just hold off on that. Just like yeah, well, just now this take, is, take your time this is putting a it together. This is I, this just, is the first understandably phases. so, but still. And they're planning on following that the second phase with a forty-five to fifty-five seat airliner. So it's not huge. But still, you know what this sounds like to me because they have a schedule. Oh, we're going to start building it now and then take off eighteen months later. 
it sounds like to me that it's also a company that has a lot of money in the background. Well, let's talk about that. A lot of that. investing people, you know what I mean. Let's talk about it. They, they've got about $41 million in, invested now, but that's it. They're, it's okay. going to count on a lot of their follow-through. Sure. The, the financials are very, very much in question right now as to whether it's going to be viable. They're going to have to deliver. It's not going to work. True, but... It's a potential. I'm gonna guess that it's a potential company that a lot of people are just watching to just let's see what well, let's well, see what happens. I mean, you know? I heard about the story, and I'm just nobody, you know. So yeah. it, it's it's a thing. And this, now that now that we've done this story, I'm definitely gonna follow. Right? Yeah. It's it's interesting, right? Like, like let's see what happens with this. The founder and CEO of Boom, Blake Scholl, said they have tested about a thousand design variations for the supersonic commercial uh, jet, but most of them, quote, air quotes, aren't very good, <laughs> but we've had a few that are. I was going to, yeah, I was, yep. I mean, Guess uh, you only need a few, right? You, well, yeah, you do. Yeah. So they do face significant financial hurdles given the cost of development, huge cost, right? That already happened mm-hmm. with uh, the Concorde. We're talking about $40 million invested just so far. Just so far, and that's like not enough to keep it going. Yeah. But Japan, J- Japan, China, and Russia have all offered to invest in this. Uh, shocking. And that, my friends, is the story of the... Crash of the Concorde. That was, uh, yeah. I mean that that was a that was a crazy story. I didn't know all that. I like for sure. I might have seen a blur. I mean, July twenty fifth, two thousand. I was interested in, in lots of other things. Let's partying. Put it, let, let's, put it, let's put it that way. You twenty three. I, I was. And living in Greenville mm. and totally into like the college party scene. Yeah, even though I, even though where that was happening, I didn't go to college. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I went through. I went to that with co- that particular college vicariously through other people. Right. I was fifteen, so I wasn't even driving. Yeah. By then. Uh, see, all I really all I know about this story is when it took its next flight. After this, uh huh. That's all I know about. It. Talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's. Oh, do you want to hear my joke? Yes. That I posted yes. on Facebook. So you're you're smiling really big. So I yes, was so yes, excited I, about I it because I it just came out of nowhere and I was so <laughs> proud of it. So I put on Facebook. I was like, so I just spent a couple hours, you know, um, researching the Concord. It went boom, then it went bust. <laughs> oh, Do you get it, Sonic Boom? Yes, I get it. I get then it, it. Then it crashed. Yeah, I think I think everybody's gonna get it. <laughs> oh, and that's awful. It's such dark humor because 113 people died, and I'm not making fun of that. <laughs> but isn't that clever? A little bit. That was just really cute. <laughs> that might be the cutest joke I've ever heard Aww. regarding a tragedy. <laughs> the cutest and appropriate <laughs> joke you've ever heard. I think it might be. 
So our twiddle hander, <laughs> we're going to call it that from now on, our Twitter handle. No, that's really going to confuse people. Twiddle hander. And it'll throw me off. <laughs> is Our Twitter handle <laughs> is at allbadthingspod. We have seven followers right now as of the time of this recording. <laughs> as, as of the time of our last recording, we had one, and that was me. <laughs> I started following us. <laughs> you and I, I account and I, and I and I forgot that I even did it. <laughs> you and I account for over twenty percent of our followers. So, in twenty four hours, we have gained five s- followers. No six. You being the co-host, oh, well, but yes. still, still five. That's, what do they call it? Unique followers. Yeah, if we can keep, if we can keep. Hey, that's five a day. That yeah, that's, that's not, pretty that's good. Not bad. No, we can do that. Yeah. yeah so. So be one of our new followers. Hopefully we have more than seven by the time you join us. But and by the time you're God listening knows. to this, because uh, who knows, be the eighth follower <laughs> on our Hopefully Twitter account. Hopefully someone's beat you to it, but maybe you can yeah. be like 100, 1,000, 1 billion followers. Well, we're never going to get there. No. But maybe we'll have a special prize for our 1,000th follower. Or perhaps not. We may not. It depends. <laughs> we probably won't. We probably not. No. But become that thousandth follower, and you never know. Yeah, yeah. Um, should I? So I have not been doing very good at giving my shout outs to the beers I've been drinking. Well, that's because at the moment. Well, let's not mention what I'm <laughs> drinking at the moment. But what you were drinking during that during that most really got of, me drunk. Yes. <laughs> That did more than this light beer ever did <laughs> is the so local shout out to um, Apex, North Carolina. We're in Raleigh, so this is a local brewery for us. Brewprint and their Edinburgh Scotch Ale, one of my favorite beers of theirs. Um, 8.2%. What, what's the? Oh, 8.2%. That was going to be my question. What's the? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's a, in their own words, it's a wee heavy punch. And it's got a little Scotty dog on the front. It's very cute. Yes, it does. So, Brewprint, shout out to you. If you would like to sponsor us, all we ask for is a sixer a week. Yeah. That's reasonable. That's, that's, that's very reasonable. We'll shout you out. Yeah. So, that was the crash of the Concord. A crazy story. Yeah. And, unfortunately, a tragic story. But then again... This is all bad things. That's <laughs> what we talk about. Yes. So don't think when you're coming in here it's going to be uh, you know rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. It's usually going to be uh, disasters and tragedies. Actually, <laughs> As, it's always going to be. Yes. As we say, trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> so for all bad things, I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.